Amen. Well, all right. Uh, we are continuing this morning in our series on taking your place at the city gates, right? And I think, I think this is the last message in that series. And so, so far, I'm so glad I didn't get an applause and an amen on that. That was awesome. Thank you. And so far in this series, we looked at uh, the importance of godly biblical values at the city gates and how to be salt and light in the city gates, right? Then we looked at Joel chapters 1 and 2 about God's return, uh, call to a return to godliness, all right? Then we continued to look at Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 and saw the desperate need for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people for the purpose of spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then we began to look at a few of these city gates, or what we're calling the invisible creations of God. It's from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 17. And we saw that all of these invisible creations of God were created by Him and for Him, and that He is before all of these things, that is, He predates them, and that in Him all these things hold together. That is, they're the blessing that God intended them to be, when we honor his design and his purposes for them. So a couple of weeks ago, we began to look at God's invisible creation of the family, that city gate. And then last week, we began to look at God, what God has to say about his creation of human government and his designs and purposes for it. And so this week, we're going to look at the church. I think one of my favorite subjects. I think it's one of Jesus' favorite subjects. He loves the church, right? And so... Um, I want to make it clear right from the get-go this morning that when we say church this morning, when I say church, I don't mean the building. All right? Uh, uh, you know, because there's several different um, uh, ideas and meanings that people, when we say the word church in, in our day, sometimes we mean the building. Like I'm going down to the church to paint a room, or I'm going down to the church to that event they're having, right? And then sometimes when we say church, we mean the legal entity. Because in our day, because of nonprofit law, the church is a legal entity. And then sometimes we, when we say church, we mean the ecclesiastical structure, you know, with the pastors and the elders and the uh, presbyters and bishops and so forth, you know, and all of those are appropriate from time to time, right? But when I refer to church this morning, I mean it in its most basic and fundamental idea. I mean the family of God, the body of Christ. That's you, right? That's us together, the church. And most of the time, when you see the word church in your Bible or churches in your Bible, that's what it's referring to. And I want to show you something really cool about that in your Bibles this morning. I, th I think you're going to like this, okay? I do, so if you don't, well, just be patient with me. Well, I like it, all right? Oh, okay. And I promise you, I think you're going to like this. Right? The word that's translated church in our Bibles is the word ecclesia. And now, that sounds very religious, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like ecclesiastical, right? It can easily conjure up images of church councils and other ecclesiastical kinds of things. But in the Greek... It wasn't originally a religious kind of word at all. It, it, was a, it was a very common word that was used in Greek culture and throughout the Roman Empire before the church ever came into be, before Jesus came on the scene or any of the apostles came on the scene, they had this word ecclesia, and it simply meant an assembly. An assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. An assembly of people called out and gathered for a specific purpose. It could be for a town meeting. Or it could be for a town celebration. It's just a group of people called out and gathered for a specific purpose. It's an ecclesia. And then the New Testament writers, they picked up this word to describe what was happening when Christians got together. It was the ecclesia of God. Jesus was the first one to use the word this way. In Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, now I remember... 
that when uh, I first read that, I was a little bit confused because, you know, the church didn't even exist at the time. What we know as the church today, when Jesus said that. And it seems to me like the disciples should have been a little bit confused. Right? I think if I was the 13th disciple there, I would have been like, um, uh, Jesus, what's a church? Right? Because it didn't exist as far as we know. But there were no questions there because Jesus used a very familiar term here. That meant a gathering of people. He says, I will build my assembly... My gathering of called out ones for my purposes. Right? And then in Romans, Paul says it this way. He says, all the churches of Christ send greetings. That is, all the ecclesia, all the assemblies of Christ send greetings. So he's using the phrase of Christ to distinguish these assemblies. Right? And then in 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen, he does the same thing. He calls them churches of God. That is, ecclesia of God. Assemblies of God. And that, by the way, is that's the verse where we get the name for our movement, the Assemblies of God. As a matter of fact, there are some translations that translate it that way, the Assemblies of God. Right? And so he does this to distinguish them from other ecclesia, other ecclesia, other assemblies of the day. I mean, these just aren't any old assemblies for a town meeting or some town gathering or something like that. These are ecclesia of Jesus. Ecclesia of of God. Ecclesia, assemblies of Christ. And so the idea is that these are assemblies of people called out and gathered together by God in order to fulfill his purpose. That's what the local body of Christ is. You are the ecclesia of God. Now, what are those purposes? Let me come back here and ask you from back here. What are those purposes? I'm going to ask over here. What are those purposes? Right, you got it right. Love, grow, and serve, right? We, we fulfill the great commandments of God by, by loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and by loving our neighbors as ourselves, right? We fulfill the great commission of God by growing into the disciples that Jesus envisions, right? The followers of Jesus that, that learn everything there is to know about him and following his ways. And then we continue to fill the great commission of God by reaching out and serving God and serving our community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And someone say amen to that. Amen. amen, amen. All right. Now, we don't have time to go through all of those uh, today, But since we've been in this series about the city gates, right, and re- being salt and light in the city gates, we're going to focus this morning on this last idea, the serve idea. What are the purposes of God for the serve idea in reaching out, fulfilling God's purposes for the ecclesia? So would you bow with me in a moment of prayer as we begin to look at God's word this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, we pray, please just give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our days. And God, give us a heart to understand and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, now, as we begin to unpack all of this this morning, I'm going to uh, suggest to you that there are three ways that the church, three kind of broad ways that the church has done this. I mean, historically and both biblically as well. And, And one of those ways I think we've been pretty good at, that the church has been pretty good at. Not perfect. I mean, the church is never perfect, right? I mean, you know the old saying, right? If you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. 
right? There, there, is, there is no perfect church, right? And so, but I think the church, by and large, has been pretty good at this way. And then, in this way, we've been here as well. And here, I think we've had some mixed reviews. You know, we, we've been at this place, and, uh, and you know, but we, I think we find that place a little bit easier. But we've been here, doing here, and had some good things happen. And then in this third area, I think this is an area where we've struggled. I mean, historically, uh, by and large, as the church of God, uh, and uh, although we've been here, and I think maybe we've struggled lately. I think there was a time when we understood this area that we're going to talk about a little bit better than we do today. All right, so let's look at these things, all right? Um, the first place that the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, serves the community and brings light to the community is right here. I mean, right where you are now. And I don't mean the building, right? I don't mean the four walls or anything like that. I mean the gathering of believers. The place and the time where the body gathers together for worship and for ministry. It doesn't matter if it's in a church building or if it's in a movie theater or if it's in a mall or if it's in someone's apartment or house or garage or if it's inside or if it's outside. It's where the church and when the church gathers for the purpose of worship and ministry. Right here. Let me give you some examples. All right. Well, well, let me back up. Don't get to the examples yet, right? Um, that's why, by the way, missionaries, one of the first things that they do when they go to a new culture that doesn't have the gospel, an unreached people group, one of the first things that they seek out to do is establish a regular time for worship and ministry, public worship and ministry. Because public worship and ministry is one of the most outreach oriented things that you can do. When the body of Christ gathers for worship and ministry, it's a testimony of the risen Jesus to the community. Not just our body, too. When all the bodies of Christ in Lancaster, in Lancaster County, and all over the state and our country and the world, right? when the body of Christ gathers for worship, it's a testimony of the risen Jesus to the community. And then out of those public gatherings, it becomes very natural to serve the community, to be salt and light in the community as an overflow of these public gatherings, right? So the scripture I kind of want to frame this with, it's an idea found in Jesus' parable of the great banquet. You all know that parable, right? There's this guy, he's, he, he's well off, and he wants to have this great banquet, and he, he's generous. He wants everybody to come to it. But a bunch of people just decided they were too busy. They didn't want to go to this banquet. And so it says, he told the servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. You know, and I kind of like how the New, uh, New American Standard Bible says this. It says, go out into the roads and the hedges and press upon them to come in. And so the church has become, I, I think, you know, pretty good at seeing a need in the community and designing a ministry to meet that need. And then using those ministries to press upon people the idea to come in and come here and hear the gospel, right? And worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been pretty good at that, right? Let me give you some examples now, right? Think about women's ministry. Well, what are we having in two weeks? We're having a women's ministry event, right? We, we, we look around and we see, you know, women tend to have this need to get together and, and, and talk together and all that. Now, not everyone, no, but I'm saying in general. And they tend to like frilly things, right? And so we, we designed this thing called women's ministry. And it has all sorts of things that women tend to like, more than men tend to like, right? And, and so we designed this ministry called women's ministry. And we press upon people to come to that. We infuse it with the gospel of Jesus. Right? With the, and with the worship of God. And we designed that ministry. Right? And now men's ministry looks a little different, doesn't it? It's not frilly. Right? 
men's ministry, we know we have things like car shows and loud cars that growl, right? Or things like that. Or we do adventure type of stuff in men's ministries. It looks different. Then we look around and we see youth have this need to kind of get together, hang out, and have lots of fun together, right? And so we designed a ministry called Youth Ministry when we create a room like that upstairs with lots of games and other stuff and loud music and all of that uh, type of stuff. And we, we infuse it with the gospel of Jesus and with the word of God and, and with worship. And we say, press upon them, come here for that. And we do the same thing with children's ministries, right? Children need to have fun. And so we do the same thing with children's ministry. Or we see that, hey, people have a need to kind of get together outside the, the regular gathering time and for fellowship. And so we create uh, small group ministries. So we've been pretty good at, at this kind of thing. That's the kind of press upon them to come in kind of ministry, right? But at the same time, you begin to look around the community and you find that, you know what? Not everybody feels pressed upon to come to the ministry. Or not everybody can come to the ministry. Or we can't reach everybody to let them know that the ministry is happening. So what has the church done? Well, we move over into the second area, right? And this is where the body of Christ sees a need beyond the gathering place, right? And goes out into the community and does service outside the church ministry outside the restraints of the gathering place in the gathering time, right? And so let me illustrate this using a passage from the book of Acts chapter 8, right? Uh, book of Acts chapter 8, Philip is having an amazing revival in Samaria. You all remember that story? And so this revival is happening. He's gone down there. He's preached the word of God. People are being healed. People are being set free from demons. Demons are shrieking as they're coming out of people. It says paralyzed people are getting up and walking. And the word of God is being preached. And, and, and also, and I think this is a part that every preacher dreams of. It says that all the people paid close attention to everything Philip said. That's a preacher's dream right there, right? Now, what's happening is this over here. This is a press upon them to come in kind of ministry. Something that's happening, they're having services, and people are hearing about it, that, that the lame people are walking, there's miracles happening. And so people are coming to the gathering event, hearing the preaching of the gospel, being ministered to at the gathering event. And that's awesome. That type of thing should happen. But then it says, right in the middle of all this, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south. To the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, wait a minute. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, there's this amazing move of God happening here that should continue. And actually will continue because Peter and John came down to see it, right? But all this stuff is going on. Why would you leave that? To go down to a desert road. There's not many people on the desert road. Well, Philip obeyed. And if you know the rest of the story, you see that he comes across this Ethiopian guy. And this guy's in the chariot, and he's reading from Isaiah, and he's trying to understand it. And I want you to see three things that happen here. Verse 29, it says, The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then in the first part of verse 30, it says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And then in the last half of the verse it says, Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? Do you see the process there? First, go near, 
then hear, then ask. Go near, go near where the people are, go near where the needs are. Then stop and listen for a little bit. Listen to what the needs are. Learn a little bit about what the need is before you just bust out talking, right? And then after that, offer Jesus. After that, offer something of Jesus for the situation. He went near, he heard, he spoke. So that's what's happening here in this area. And the body of Christ all over the world has done this. Not perfectly. Sometimes we may feel more comfortable here designing a ministry surrounded by the gathering place and saying, hey, and pressing on people to come in here. However, the church all over the world has also done this. Now, we may be more comfortable with that, but, and maybe sometimes more successful, but we've been here doing this. Now, is there room for improvement? Yes, there is. But this I know. Sometimes you'll hear this. You know, whether it's in the news or social media or whether, you know, this accusation that church people, all they ever like to do is just stay over here in this area, sit in their pews, and they really don't care about anything else that's going on outside the four walls of the church. Can I tell you something? That is absolutely false. Actually, I want to say it's slander. I mean, if you know the truth about what the church has done over the last 20 centuries and, uh, and what the church is still doing today, I mean, that's just slander. The church cares about what's going on in the world. Let me give you some examples, right? Uh, um, over 100 years ago, there was a man named D.L. Moody who, who saw some needs in inner city Chicago, right? And he designed a ministry to meet those needs called the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA. Did you know that it was a Christian Organization designed by Christians to meet a specific need in the community? I mean, think about it for, for a second. Think about prison ministry. You can invite them here all you want. I mean, you can invite them to a potluck supper, but they're not coming to the gathering event, right? And we could, if we wanted to, just kind of sit back and look down our noses and say, well, hey, you know, tough luck. You know, uh, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime and all of that. But instead, what do we do? We go near... We hear, we listen, and then we offer Jesus in, in prison ministries, right? And, and hopefully along the way, you know, we're, we're helping them get through a very difficult time in their lives to a more safe place so that they can go on in the grace and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ after that. Think about homeless ministry. Pastor Mark was just mentioning, right? They may be able to come here well enough. That doesn't mean they can get here, right? And now we could just... Um, uh, look down our noses at them and say, well, you know, the tough cookies, you know, we're here if you want us. You know, but instead, what do we do? We design ministries and we cooperate with, with other assemblies, other churches of God as well in meeting those needs and going out to those city gates. As a matter of fact, one of the ministries that we do, it is called CityGate, all right? We help get them through uh, a difficult time in life so that hopefully they can move on. And so instead of just being by themselves. They have someone meet some physical needs with a meal, with a, with a smile, with a prayer. When we can, we offer simple church so that they can connect with God. And we do other compassion types of ministries as well. Think about hospitals that, that churches have established throughout the years, often in places designed where people don't have access to health care. Or think about uh, uh, schools, colleges, universities, grade schools that that have been founded by Christians to meet an educational need while honoring God in the process. You know, in every town and city in our nation, there are people who are experiencing crisis pregnancy 
situations. You know, we could look down our noses at them and say, hey, you know, you reap what you sow, tough luck, right? But instead, we go near, we hear, and we offer the help of Jesus to help someone get through a very difficult time to a more stable place so that they can go on with the grace and mercy of God, right? Or think about drug and alcohol ministries. We could say, hey, you know, you reap what you sow, right? But instead, we go near, we hear, and we offer help and Jesus for the situation. With ministries like New Life for Girls and, and, and Teen Challenge as well. We go near, we hear, and then we offer Jesus for the situation. And so... Over here, these are press upon them to come in kinds of ministries. Here, these are go near and hear and then offer Jesus kinds of ministries, right? But then you come to this last place over here, right? And, you know, you look around and you find that, you know, we're still not doing, I think, everything that Jesus wants us to do. We're still not reaching everybody with the gospel. So look at the gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15 for a second. Jesus, this is after the resurrection, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. How many of you have heard this verse before? All right, most of you, right? Now, often, when we hear this verse, we think in terms of going to another country somewhere, right? Go across the ocean, go to somewhere else, and preach the gospel. And in thinking about it that way, we often relegate this verse to missionaries. Missionaries are the people who go to all the world. Missions, missionaries are the people who preach the gospel to all the world, to all creation. Well, that's not really what this verse means. Let me show you. The word go in this verse is in what we call the passive voice. And the word preach is in what we call the active voice. Now, Without putting you all to sleep with a lot of details about all that means, it simply is the idea that the emphasis in this verse is on the proclaim, right? On the preach. It's not on the word go. Some people translate it like this. Since you're going, preach the gospel. Since, in fact, you are going or seeing that you're going, proclaim the gospel. It's kind of like this. How many of you have ever been sitting in your living room, maybe with your family, and after a while you get up? for a second. And as soon as you're up, somebody, maybe your children or your spouse says, hey, since you're up, could you get me a drink of water? And then everybody else chimes in, yeah, yeah, dad, since you're up, could you get me a drink of water, right? How many of you experienced that? Well, it's kind of a similar thing. Jesus says, since you're going anyway, proclaim the gospel. Seeing that you are going, Proclaim the gospel. Jesus has sent and is sending his body to all the world. He's scattering us to all the world. And he says, since you're going, proclaim the gospel everywhere to go. He's sending you to the city gates. He's sending you to the workplace, to industry, to education, to medicine, to entertainment, to culture, to places of public policy and government, to family, to the marketplace. You are going to the city gates. And since you're going there, he says, proclaim the gospel. Find a way to be light and to be salt in the city gates. Do what it says the early believers did. Well, you know, they were getting really comfortable in Jerusalem with this great, awesome new movement. But a persecution came and they were scattered back to where they came from. And it says, as they went, they proclaimed the gospel. They began to speak to people about Jesus, right? 
Since you're going to the culture, to the workplace, to the marketplace, find a way to be salt and light there. You know, and that doesn't mean you've got to take out a pulpit, set it up wherever you go, and start preaching at people. You know, usually this happens in a couple different ways, all right? The first way is by depositing something good in the culture. You go to the city gates and you deposit something good, a blessing, something of God into the culture. Something of the Holy Spirit. Like you go to the city gates and you deposit something joyful, something loving, something that brings peace, right? Something that's good, something that's kind, something that brings the grace of God to the situation, right? You deposit something good, something godly in the city gates. Did you ever notice that when the Bible is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, after it lists those nine fruit of the Spirit, it says, against such things, there is no law. Now, there may be some rules and laws in your human resources department about when and how you can share personal things like your faith and that type of thing. You may encounter some rules like that. If you're in education, like my, my uh, wife and my daughter are, you know, there are some rules and laws about, you know, having a Bible on your desk or anything like that. There's some rules about that, some laws, right? But against these things, it says there is no law. No one gets upset with you. When you express patience towards everybody. Who's, who's here has been, someone got upset because you were patient? Anybody? Right, no one gets upset with you at work when you faithfully show up all the time and you faithfully do all of your duties and you go the second mile like Jesus talked about. Like nobody gets upset with you for that. Anyone have anyone get upset with you for that? When you deposited something like that in the city gates, right? No one gets upset with you when you express self-control when everybody else is about to blow a gasket. You deposit something good, something of the Holy Spirit in the city gates. And maybe if you go near enough, often enough, and you listen enough and show respect enough, maybe you earn the right to speak at the city gates and bring something of God to the city gates. And then sometimes... The way you bring light to the city gates is by resisting evil or exposing evil there. Now, I'm not saying that you should be the type of person that goes around looking under every stone, behind every tree, you know, and under every rock to find something to criticize and, and, and so forth and, and point out. I'm not saying you ought to be critical people like that, right? But sometimes it just comes to you. I mean, sometimes you're just confronted with it, right? And, uh, this is where it can get a little bit uncomfortable. How many of you have had a time where something, you know, evil came to you that was kind of unavoidable, right? And it was a little bit uncomfortable. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about, right? I knew about this businessman who owned a company and hired a contractor, a landscaper to come and do some work on the company grounds. And then at the same time, hired him to do some work at home. And as the man was finishing up the work at his home, he kind of asked him, hey, do you want me to just send the bill for the work at home to your, to your work address? And do you see what's happening there? Because he knew, he was trying to save him some money. He knew that if it was a business expense, that would be a deductible, tax-deductible business expense, and he could save money. But if he sent it to his home as a home expense, that's not tax-deductible. So uh, he was you know, thinking to himself, I'm going to save him some money. But this man knew immediately that, first off, that would be wrong. That would be dishonest. Right? That would not be ethical. It also had the potential to destroy his testimony. I mean, because how can you credibly speak about the truth of Jesus if you're dishonest in your business dealings? Amen? 
I mean, you just that would destroy his testimony. So he thanked the man and just said, no, if you would just kindly just send the bill for the work of my home to my house. And that would be, that would be appreciated, right? Sometimes it's resisting something evil or a temptation presented to you in the city gates you know, for the sake of your testimony. Let me give you one more example. Once when uh, uh, Jill was in her early 20s, she had like her first real job. You know when you get that first real job? And she's working for this uh, electronics company. And she's in charge of shipping and receiving and keeping track of all of that. And one time, this one company sent some extra software by mistake, one extra copy of the software that they were supposed to send. And normally, the thing that she was supposed to do would have been to contact the company and find out what they want to do about that. But when her boss heard it, he said to her, uh, no, don't do that. Just put it under my desk. And the idea was that, well, maybe they just forget about it and we'll get this um, free software. Now, in that moment, now, if you know anything about Jill, Jill's not looking for a confrontation. Have you noticed that about her? I mean, she's not looking to get in everybody's face and tell them how it is. Right? That's just not her. But in that moment, she knew she either has to jump in and participate with this and become part of it and violate the company rules and protocols that were already set in place and kind of keep it quiet, or she had to expose it. There was no other option. So she just respectfully told the man, uh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, then she left, and you know what happened? He was kind of a hothead. How many of you have ever had a hothead for a boss? A few of you, right? Well, apparently he went to his boss. She found this out through uh, the executive secretary of one of the vice presidents. He went to his boss, who was the vice president of the company, and started uh, 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 reaming him out about her. Right? Started yelling at him about her. And I'm sure she, he wasn't saying anything flattering. Like, oh, she's such a good worker or anything like that, right? I'm sure he was telling her all how terrible and all of that that, that she was. What was happening here? In the simple decision, like, I can't go along with that. And, you know, she didn't give him a lecture or anything like that. Or anything like that. In the simple decision not to go along with that, she also shined a light. It was unavoidable. She shined a light on something that was going on in his heart. It was covetous. It was unavoidable. Sometimes that happens. I'm not saying you go look for it or, or have a critical spirit, but, but sometimes that happens. Sometimes in the city gates, there's evil that, that, that has to be confronted. When we go to the city gates, God expects us to bring light and salt there. Whether it's the marketplace, whether it's the job place, the arena of public policy, the family, or wherever we're going, when we go to the city gates... We don't have a choice. You know, some people want to approach the city gates like, the first thing I want above everything else is for people to like me. Well, can I encourage you? Don't be dislikable, unlikable people. I mean, that's a good thing, to be a likable person. Right? But Jesus said that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead because their deeds were evil. Sometimes... There are going to be times when you shine the light and you're not intending to offend anybody, but because someone's deeds are evil, they're not going to like the light. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. He said, thanks be to God who uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, the aroma that brings life. Same smell different reactions. One reacts positively, one negatively. So what do we do about all of that? I mean, what do we do about 
all of this when this kind of thing happens? Well, I kind of want to conclude this morning, conclude this whole series right where we began. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says he knows this stuff is going to happen, right? People are going to say false and evil things about you because of him. But he goes on and says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so don't just be the church. I mean, don't just go to church. Be the church. Right? Don't just sit in church. Be the church. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in all the city gates that you go to. Right? Because the walls can't pray for anybody. But you can. Out in the city gates, you can pray for people. Right? The walls can't proclaim the gospel, but you can. Your lives and your words can proclaim the gospel. The, the walls can't give hope to anybody. And we're in a time where they need hope in the city gates. The walls can't give that hope, but you can. The living Jesus living in and through you day in and day out can bring hope to a hopeless world. The walls can't lift anyone up, but you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you, you can. Would you all just bow with me in prayer now as we're going to finish and conclude this message and this series? Amen. Oh, bless your name. Bless your name, Heavenly Father. God, thank you. Thank you that you have called us out. God, that you've gathered us together to be your family, to be your body, God, to be your assembly for your purposes. God, we acknowledge you've called us to be salt, God. You've called us to be light in our communities, in the gateways of our culture, God. And it's our desire, God, to do that. And God, and to leave behind a blessing, a blessing from the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, help us, I pray. Help us to press upon people. To come in and experience the blessings of God. To come into the gathering place, God. God, help us to continue to to go out and to to go near and to hear, God, and to listen, God, and to bring Jesus to situations outside of our walls, God. And God, we pray also that you'd help us uh, to go into all the city gates. Help us be salt and be light there. To resist evil and to deposit a blessing, God, for it's in the name of God. Of Jesus, I pray. And everyone that loves God said, amen Amen and amen. God bless you. May you be a light and salt everywhere you go this week in the name of Jesus. Amen.